Welcome to It's Soil, Not Dirt, an interview-based podcast on all aspects of geotechnical engineering and sponsored by PRI Engineering, the experts of soil mechanics. We aim to come in under 20 minutes while diving deep into one question around a single topic. It's particle-sized and meaningful. I'm Jenna Jensen, your host, and today we're speaking with Arasha Zdani from PRI Engineering about the burgeoning subfield of geotechnical engineering and solar foundation design. Arash has over 10 years experience in geotechnical engineering and has worked on hundreds of solar projects across Canada, the United States, and the Caribbean. Welcome to our first show, Arash. Now, before we get into the meat of today's topic, let's start with a little bit about PRI Engineering, the geotechnical engineering company you work for, and how it came to focus on solar foundation design. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, PR Engineering has been focusing on solar foundation design, you know, strictly because of the experience of its uh, of its employees. The employees um, of our team have been working in this field for over ten years, and uh, in, in some cases, this this field has actually only really been around for ten years in uh, in the colder climates like. Canada and the Northeastern United States. So what other areas has PRI engineering branched out into? Uh, PRI, you know, once again, leveraging the experience of its, uh, of its employees has also been getting into engineering infrastructure projects, uh, which is where you would more traditionally see geotechnical engineers working, working on road projects, bridge projects, Wastewater treatment plants, water treatment plants, commercial buildings, uh, residential subdivisions, you know, all that, uh, all that stuff that humans have been building for hundreds of years. So what excites you about these other projects? I know you're in the renewable space and really what is about these projects that gets you out of bed in the morning? I mean, one of the, one of the things about working on the same type of projects all the time is definitely that it can get a little repetitive. So it's always nice to be working on a diverse set of projects, diverse set of challenges, different types of clients. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot more knowledge, a lot more experience in, in infrastructure projects. It's it's a little bit more rigid though, so there's not as there's not as much room for creativity, which is why we really do enjoy the renewable energy solar foundation projects. Not to say that there's no room for innovation in the other on the other side of things, but it's it's definitely more difficult. It sounds like solar foundation design is really a nascent field, and that there's still a lot of room to improve things and to optimize. But before we really go deep or a little bit deeper into solar foundation design and geotechnical engineering, let's turn for a moment to uh, the solar industry, and if you could just give us a little bit of a background on it and where the need from geotechnical engineers came from yeah absolutely so i mean i can tell you maybe a little bit from my perspective which is obviously focusing on northern environments where we're dealing with cold weather and frost predominantly um you know a lot of the experience in this uh in this industry has come out of ontario uh, ontario in the early 2010s uh, the Interior Government, that is, they uh, they sponsored a feed and tariff program, which I'm going to be honest with you, was pretty lucrative. Uh, there was a lot of money to be made. So developers came flying into Ontario from all over the world, all over North America, California, Texas, Florida, even Europe, Germany, you know, 
lots and lots of developers came up here and they all had their own perspective, their own background from, from their, from their home locations. And, uh, you know, I think it became very clear very quickly that the, the approaches in those other areas and those other regions wasn't hundred percent thought out for the Ontario market. Unfortunately, there was, there was a number of failures uh, throughout the province, very, very happy to say I was not responsible for any of those failures. However, I uh, definitely got involved in some forensics works with some of those projects, developing remediation designs for failures. And, you know, as, as such, uh, myself and, you know, a number of other engineers, uh, a lot of which that work here at PRI with myself, have gotten a really good grasp of what not to do and what could go wrong. And what you should do instead and what you could do in place or, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's no doubt about it. We are still in the wild, wild west in foundation renewable energy world. And, you know, in fact, probably the renewable energy solar industry as a whole is uh, is still operating in the wild, wild west where, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. But on the foundations in particular in the northern environments, northern climates, definitely seeing a... Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a long ways to go. And in fact, you know, we're actively working with an academic institution to, to clear out some of these unknowns and, uh, you know, the unknowns, uh, there's still lots of them. And, you know, the, the cool thing is, is we have found quite a bit of, we have learned quite a bit of stuff. We've built a lot of knowledge over the last two, three years at PRI in particular, and, and even, you know, at other industries prior to that we 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 gained a lot of experience a lot of foundational knowledge uh, no pun intended for um for kind of getting us to the point where we are today where you know we have we really do have a, a roadmap to establish some parameters and requirements for all these unknowns and uh you know we're, we're pretty excited to see where that takes us in the next two to three years you brought up a lot of really good points there. I think we could start first with the mistakes that were made early on. It seems like there was a big learning curve right there at the beginning. And then later on, the field really benefited from this. So maybe you can start with those mistakes first in the Canadian market and then in the U.S. market. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the unfortunate challenges is, is that there isn't a lot of guidance um, <laughs> Even the guidance in Canada is pretty limited. It's in the thousand-ish page Canadian Foundation Engineering Manual. It's about two paragraphs. That's you know covers half a page. So you know there's there's not a lot of guidance on how to deal with frost. And and the and the the, route, the reality is this is a unique situation because traditionally when you're designing a foundation, it's for a building, something that somebody's going to be living in. And well, I don't know of anybody living any in. in in any solar racking, I, I, I don't want to don't want to rule it out, but you know it is a very unlikely place for somebody to live. So you know, having the same mentality and philosophy as you would when designing a house or a building that somebody's going to regularly be occupying, as you do with solar racking foundations, is 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 a little bit crazy, if you ask me. Um, in the sense of, you know, you may be you may be throwing additional money. At these systems, then you should, then you need to be. On the flip side of things, um, so th that was kind of the the attitude of the the Canadian engineers is you no, know, you know, we need to design this like a house, 
and we need to, you know, fully consider frost uplift. And, you know, people from a little bit warmer clients were like, what are you guys talking about? The ground doesn't freeze. The ground doesn't push foundations out of the ground. That's, that's crazy. Like, what kind of, uh, what kind of activities were you guys into last night that, you know, that's, that's where your head's at. But, you know, slowly but surely, those same people saw what could happen as, as foundations pushed out of the ground to the point where they were damaging racking structures, damaging modules. That's when it became a concern. But, you know, the, there is there, there's probably a happy medium between what the Canadian engineers were saying and some of the designers from outside of this region were saying. And, you know, the reality is, is we need to accept that foundations will move. And in fact allowing the foundation to move to the point where it doesn't damage your asset, in this case, the, the, the solar modules, should be considered tolerable. Uh, in terms of, you know, what have not been understood in this industry is, is this concept of frost ad freeze and frost susceptibility. And there's this unfortunately very large misconception that frost ad freeze, which is essentially water pours in soil freezing and causing expansion which then transfers that expansion expansive load onto the foundation versus a frost susceptible soil is is really about its its chemical like the the composition of the soil certain soils are more frost susceptible are more likely to develop frost lensing than others silty soils being the worst and you know free draining sands being the, the least frost susceptible so the, the, the challenge that a lot of people struggle to understand is that you can have a non-frost susceptible soil that can have water develop within the pores of the soil, and if exposed to cold temperatures, it will freeze, expand, and transfer that pressure to the foundation. The, the, the misconception is, is that, no, if you have a non-frost susceptible soil, you will not be developing frost uplift, and this has been... You know, this has been a this has been a multi-year battle for me to try to explain to designers that have never even seen frost, never even seen the ground freeze, that you know this this is in fact going to happen. That really brings up for me this image, and maybe this is a stereotypical image of the mushrooming concrete underneath a solar foundation, uh, underneath a racking on a solar foundation. And how this really represents a couple of things. One is that frost wasn't properly accounted for. And then the second is that this is really uh, something that the industry had to learn from early on. So I'd like to return to um, a point that we touched on earlier. So we've already discussed some of the challenges, but now I would like to go to some of the best practices. So. How have we developed good practices from the mistakes that we have made early on? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great question. So, I mean, we, you know, I can tell you a little bit about our developments in this field. So, you know, we were, we as a group knew that the Canadian Foundation Engineering Manual was suggesting way too rigorous requirements and we knew we needed a different guideline. So thankfully, um, at one of the previous Canadian Geotechnical Society conferences in Ottawa, um, a number of engineers from Golder Associates wrote a paper where they recommended an alternative way of calculating frost. 
Now, I know some of my American counterparts in the South still think we are too, too conservative on the on the design side of things. Um, however, it is a step forward from what the Canadian Foundation Engineering Manual is suggesting. And, you know, I don't disagree with them. You know, we still do need to refine this further. However, you know, this concept of ignoring it altogether is just unfortunately not the path forward. That is it's a perfect segue into like my next question. So what do you see in the future? What kind of um, practices do you see uh, being implemented? What is the, the future for geotechnical engineering for solar? Well, I'd like to tell you that PR engineering is the future of geotechnical engineering for solar. But uh, on a serious note, um, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it that developers are concerned that they're putting too much money into foundations and there's too much risks associated with trying to achieve unattainable designs. And, you know, like I said, I, I do I do have sympathy for those that are saying you're designing these things too rigid. You're designing these things way too way too way too strong. You know the loads are, are way too high. And in some cases they might be right. the The problem is is we've tried to provide a one size fits all solution and recommendation for all of the foundation types and design requirements for these types of uh, for these types of projects. But the but the reality is that the ground is very, very different. You know, a, a minor adjustment in moisture conditions completely changes the soil properties, completely changes the ability of the soil to, to resist certain loads or, or act certain loads on a foundation. So, you know, having a better understanding of the soil mechanics and having a better understanding of how things do react under controlled situations is going to allow us to, you know, assess sites differently, and that's, you know, I talked to our, I talked about our research partner. You know, that's that's what we're trying to establish. We're trying to, you know, the the, the guidelines are very very black and white right now. They're very very rigid. You know, it's very hard to assess, you know, numerous site parameters with the guidelines that have been provided, and and you know, we're we're very 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 optimistic. On, in the route we're going and then we feel that you know the industry has to go that route so that there can be some more confidence in some some would consider more aggressive foundations for these types of systems and another engineer once told me you know a good engineer takes his customer's dollar and turns it into three and we're not giving them investment advice we're giving them sound construction engineering advice that will allow them to, you know, minimize the amount of materials they're utilizing while ensure they're not putting their assets at risk. And that's, you know, that's that's the ultimate goal here. And and there's, you know, I I, I, I know we're on that path and, and in the next, you know, two to three years we're we're gonna get there. For me, a good parallel here is when you're deciding to do renovations on a house. So if you want to change the house structurally, you're going to want to have an engineer take a look at it and make sure that your structure is going to be sound so that your long-term investment is going to last. If you don't do this, this is going to ultimately possibly be damaging to your asset, but then at the same time, you're also going to run into some issues later on that you're going to have to fix. It's going to end up costing you a lot, a lot more. Now, I see this also in solar projects. Now, there's a lot of money going into this, and you want to make, protect your asset. You want to protect your revenue later on. So it only makes sense to get an engineer in right away 
help minimize your risk and make sure that the project is being built properly so that you don't have to deal with issues with construction or even later on when you have to do a lot of fixes to the project, which can end up costing you, you a lot and then eating into your revenue. Now you've worked on a lot of really interesting projects over the years. Maybe there's just a few that you can highlight, some with some really interesting puzzles that you've had to solve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that is most exciting about what we do at PRI is that we're not just working in a 100-kilometer radius around our offices. We're working all across North America. Uh, we've got staff going to the Arctic Circle. Next week, uh, I'm going to be working on the largest solar farm in the Arctic Circle. It'll be the first time ad-freeze piles are used in a solar foundation um, application. So that's pretty exciting to be, you know, uh, somebody that's kind of a trailblazer of, of new technologies. And and in fact, like, you know, it, it's it's more than that, just more than just the, the new technologies. It's super cool to be part of a project that is going to take an area on planet Earth that is thousands and thousands of kilometers from civilization. And all of a sudden, we're going to give them a reliable source of electricity that they, they're going to generate from the sun. And, you know, what does that do that displaces that displaces diesel generation and we're not going to go we're not going to go down the road of whether diesel is bad or good or causing climate change or that kind of things but the reality is is you know having to get that physical diesel there two three four five six whatever times a year that's that's a potential risk because if that fuel doesn't go that community doesn't get electricity well guess what the sun is going to come out tomorrow whether we like it or not so that's that's big part of it is taking us to areas where we normally probably wouldn't go you know we we did the foundation design for what's going to be the largest uh, solar farm in east coast canada um, it was i the sunbank solar project you know we're super that was super exciting because an area we've only vacationed to before so it was pretty pretty exciting to be going there for work purposes and the other cool thing is is that in the world of geotechnical engineering Typically, you're, you're really only considered a regional expert, and we've, you don't typically get the opportunity as a geotechnical engineer to, to look at projects outside of your, your, your regional scope and, and comfort area. And you know because we've developed this niche for solar foundation design, our work has taken us all over. Um, we have, we've got some projects in the Caribbean. We're working very actively in the northeastern United States. And, you know, like I said, East Coast Canada, we're doing a lot of work in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And, you know, we're going as far north as the Arctic Circle. So, you know, our project in the Arctic Circle and our projects in the Caribbean are almost five, 6,000 kilometers apart. It sounds like you really are the explorers of the 21st century. And as explorers, you are responsible for developing best practices for projects in places that never have been built in before. Now, as a, an explorer in the 21st century and getting to develop all these brand new practices, if you were to talk to an engineer, just a young engineer starting out from the field, what kind of advice would you give them? If somebody told you that this is the way we've always done it and this is the way we're going to do it, assume that's the wrong way to do it and do it another way. Push the boundaries. Think outside the box. This industry is not meant for rigid thinkers that are not looking for new creative ways to 
tackle engineering problems. So what you're essentially saying is that if someone tells you that this is the way that is all it has always been done and this is the way we should do it, you should really question that. You should see if that's really the right way of doing things and forge your own path. So now, before we end it, I just wanted to ask you, Arash, if you had any last thoughts. I just, you know, really want to reiterate what you're saying, and because you're absolutely right, this is this is an industry of the future. Uh, renewable energy has been said to be, you know, is going to be the first trillion dollar industry the world has seen, and it will dwarf the automotive industry. I don't know how true that is, but it's probably going to give the automotive industry a run for its money, and. As, as we've stated, there's still a lot of things to figure out, not just on the geotechnical engineering side of things, on the electrical side of things, the, the mechanical side of things. You know, there's, there's a lot of innovation happening in this field. And if you are a young engineer coming out of university or a technologist coming out of college and you want the opportunity to think outside the box, be challenged, do things differently, this is the industry for you. Thanks, Arash. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Now, thank you to all of our listeners of our very first episode of It's Soil, Not Dirt. We have many more great ones to come. Our next episode is going to be about illegal soil dumping here in Ontario, Canada. It's going to be fascinating and a lot of juicy things to think about. If you like this first episode, I welcome you to stay up to date on all of our upcoming ones. We're going to be on all of the major podcast platforms, so you can follow us there. And if you would like to learn more about PRI Engineering, please visit our website, PRIEngineering.com. And don't forget, it's soil, not dirt.